Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen and welcome to RF Capital's second quarter results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Rocco Colella, Managing Director, Investors Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Colella. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, welcome to our second quarter uh, earnings conference call. If you have any questions following this call, please reach out to Investor Relations. My contact information can be found at the end of our earnings release. Before we get started, I would like to remind you that this call is being webcast and available for subsequent replay. Today's remarks may contain forward-looking information and actual results could differ materially. Forward-looking information is subject to many risks and uncertainties. Certain factors or assumptions implied in the forward-looking information can be found in our latest AIF and MDNA. These documents are available on our website and at cdart.com. This morning, our President and CEO, Keish Kapoor, and our CFO, Tim Wilson, are on the call. Keish will provide opening remarks, an update on our bold growth strategy, and other key takeaways from the most recent quarter. Tim will then cover financial results. Keish will end with closing remarks, following which we will open the call uh, to questions from analysts. I will now turn the call over to Keish. Thanks, Rocco. Good morning, everyone. Q2 was another transformative quarter. We achieved several milestones on our journey to become the brand of choice for Canada's top advisors and their high net worth clients. Specifically, we continue to attract top talent to our board and our leadership team. We took big steps towards delivering on our digital ambition by partnering with InvestNet for unified management account platform. InvestNet manages over $5 trillion in assets and supports 106,000 advisors across 5,100 companies. And we're not done there. We continue to canvas the marketplace to further enhance our technology platform. So stay tuned for more game-changing updates. We built a burgeoning recruiting pipeline and onboarded multiple advisory teams and have many other confirmed to join us in the next couple of months. What pleases me about this is that our story is resonating with those who value the name on our door and our high-performing, advisor-centric entrepreneurial culture. We migrated our insurance business in-house to capture more of the economies or the economics of that business. With this change, we're targeting our insurance revenue to grow to 7 to 8% of total revenue over time, up from the current 1 to 2%. Received the second highest rating in Canada in the annual Investment Executive Brokerage Report Card and won awards for best place to work for women, mental wellness, and a great place to work in Canada and Ontario. We launched our advisor concierge desk to make it easier for advisors to to succeed here than anywhere else. We're actively promoting our brand with comprehensive awareness and digital marketing campaigns to tell our story across the country using a combination of social media, sponsorships, podcasts, and traditional media. This campaign 
also includes two exclusive events for clients, prospective clients, advisors, prospective advisors, and other guests featuring Harley Richardson and Sandy Riley, our founding fathers, and two of Canada's prominent business leaders. Our first event in August will be broadcast live from the iconic Winnipeg Art Gallery, home to 14,000 pieces of Inuit art held in trust. Our fireside chat will be situated in the inaugural exhibition of the Inuit Art Center. There, Hartley and Sandy will share fascinating stories about the inception and evolution of Richardson Wealth and the 165-year history of the Richardson brand. They will also share anecdotes about their friendship, their partnership, and their families, including Hartley's grandmother, Muriel, who was the subject of a 1957 McLean's Magazine feature article where they declared her to be the shy baroness of brokerage. We expect to run a similar event in October in the stunning Canadian Museum of Human Rights. If you would like to join us at this virtual live event, please reach out to Rocco Kalala. His contact information is found at the end of our earnings release. We announced a, game, a virtual conference by advisors for advisors called Game Changers. At this conference to be held in September, 20 of our top advisors have agreed to share their thoughts on how advisors can elevate their practices. This conference will include sessions on practice management, digital marketing, client prospecting, onboarding, and hosting clients' events and building exceptional teams. It will also feature guest speakers on ESG, digital technology, and a keynote speaker who knows everything about playing to win. This conference has been powered by our impressive group of external partners who provided sponsorship dollars to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars to support and endorse our game-changing messaging and our brand. And we delivered record results in metrics such as AUA, fee-based revenue, and average household assets. We also saw our new issue business increase by nearly 200% this quarter, which is the same period last year. These are outstanding results and are gradually being reflected in our share price. Our 247 share price is at a 52-week high, up 42% year-to-date. All these accomplishments made for a busy quarter and, not surprisingly, are generating a lot of positive energy across the firm. The amount of effort needed to kickstart our transformational journey pales compared to what our growth momentum promises to produce. With that, I'll turn the call over to Tim. Thanks, Keish, and good morning, everyone. Building on Keish's remarks, Q2 was another strong quarter for our firm. The growth momentum we enjoyed in Q1 carried into Q2 as we had expected. We hit new record levels of AUA, fee-based revenue, AUA per advisory team, and the number of households with average assets exceeding a million dollars, to name a few. This performance was widespread, with 97% of all advisor teams growing their AUA in 2021. And our disciplined cost management efforts contribute to improved operating efficiency and profitability. All of this made for a strong first half of the year. Before we turn to the details of our second quarter results, let me highlight a few noteworthy items. As highlighted last call, the comparability of our consolidated results is limited, 
given that we commenced consolidating Richardson Wealth last October. As such, my remarks today will again focus largely on the business drivers at Richardson Wealth. In addition, Q2 results were affected by adjusting items of $5.8 million pre-tax or $4.3 million after-tax. The nature of these adjustments is discussed in our MD&A. With that, let's turn to the key growth drivers of the Richardson Wealth business. At Richardson Wealth, adjusted EBITDA was $15.1 million, the second highest level in seven years, 85% above Q2 of last year, and 7% higher than in Q1. These increases are a result of the growing AUA and improved operating leverage in the business. The adjusted EBITDA margin improved to 19.8% in Q2, up sharply from 13.2% in the same period a year ago. What is also impressive is that we achieved this margin despite interest revenues still being pressured by low rates. Behind our higher gross margin, average AUA, which is the primary driver of revenue, was a record $34 billion and up 20% year over year. Growth was largely a function of market appreciation, though we added an impressive $1.9 billion in net new and recruited assets since June of last year. This will only get better as Christina Clement launches her practice management curriculum in Q3. Our commission revenue continued to benefit from a robust new issue market and our core mark partnership although it was softer than the recent highs we enjoyed in Q1. We participated in 149 new issues in Q2 versus 50 last year, an almost two-fold increase. We continue to expect that deal activity will taper off slightly from Q2 levels, particularly given the typically slow summer months in Canadian capital markets. Improving operating leverage also helped EBITDA growth. In Q2, Richardson Wealth's adjusted operating expense ratio declined an impressive 12 percentage points from last year, from 76% to 64%. We will continue to focus on disciplined cost management as we advance our growth ambitions. With that, let's now turn to a few key balance sheet items. At the end of June, our net working capital increased to $102 million up from $96 million at the end of March. With improving operating margins at Richardson Wealth and growing recurring fee-based revenues, we feel confident about RF Capital's ability to continue generating strong operating cash flows through 2021. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. We currently have $108 million in term debt on our balance sheet, and our debt to consolidated adjusted EBITDA ratio is two times. That is a very manageable level. We have $12.1 million of promissory notes coming due in September this year, 
and our subordinated bank debt also comes due this fall. To help finance our aggressive growth plans and to capitalize on the current low interest rate environment, we intend to renegotiate and upsize our subordinated debt in Q3. That said, our overall appetite for leverage still remains low. Looking out over the remaining two quarters of 2021, we anticipate increased recurring fee-based revenue from continued AUA growth, offset slightly by lower new issue commissions and spending on strategic initiatives. As a result, we anticipate adjusted EBITDA in Q3 and Q4 to be largely consistent with Q2, subject, of course, to broad market conditions. Now I'll turn it over to Keish for closing remarks. Thanks, Tim. Taking advantage of our considerable momentum, we're executing against our growth plan at an ever-accelerating pace and with great conviction. In the short period since we've unveiled our plan, we have and will continue to elevate our advisors' experience significantly, enhance our recruiting value proposition, and raise our brand awareness while posting record results along the way. After a challenging, multi-year journey to transform our company, we're finally attracting the attention of everyone, everywhere, and being recognized for delivering on our promises. In doing so, we're bringing the enthusiasm and energy required to build a great company that we're all excited to be a part of. We thank you, our shareholders, for your patience and support over these years and look forward to updating you on our progress next quarter. I'll now turn the call back over to Rocco. Uh, thanks, Keish. That concludes our formal remarks this morning. Operator, we are now ready to open the call to questions from analysts. Yes, thank you. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register, and we thank you for your patience. The first question is from uh, Jeff, Jeff Fenwick from Cormac Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Morning, Jeff. Morning, Jeff. Uh, so, Keish, just let's start off with the uh, the recruiting pipeline here and some some commentary uh, in your release. So, um, some of the commentary was suggesting that the pace of, of uh, client asset growth uh, likely moderates to the back half of the year. I'm assuming that's more around uh, just market expectations. But you also did say you do believe you can uh, close some of that ten billion dollar pipeline. Through, through the back half of the year, is that correct? That's right. It starts, you know, um, in September and October, and less so in December, but September, October, and November. Okay. And, you know, what are you seeing in the market today in terms of the uh, sort of acquisition cost for those advisors? I've kind of heard that some of your competitors are getting pretty aggressive in what they're paying to bring those teams on board. Is it sort of trending the way you would expect? Is there, there going to be some inflation in, in the acquisition cost there for you, or how do you think about that? You know, you know, we've always been saying that there's a renaissance uh, of a bygone era amongst the independents, and certainly even the banks are into uh, uh, active recruiting efforts. So yes, it, you know, the price uh, has gone up. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say it's materially up, but for high quality practices, it's always been a premium. And Jeff, I'll add to that and say that you know, we've got a pretty detailed model that we run behind the scenes whenever we look at potentially attracting a new recruit. And we will do these deals only where they make economic sense for us. And in fact, uh, I think it would have been just after the end of Q2 or towards the end of it, we backed away from one of these deals 
because the numbers just didn't add up for us. So we, we are being prudent about it um, and, and making sure we, we, we do these deals only where they add value. Okay. And then in terms of building out the, uh, the offering for, for clients, uh, you did mention bringing the insurance operations in-house and migrating to that in-house platform. Um, can you just give us some color on what's involved with that? I, I thought you might need to acquire or, or, uh, or partner with a, a, an outside firm in order to make that happen. So what's the expectation there? So, I mean, the first thing is that we had a relationship with a, uh, another MGA, uh, and we terminated that relationship uh, sometime in the spring. I can't remember the exact date. It was April or May. And that now allows us to be our own MGA, and we can uh, negotiate contracts directly with the carriers. And we're well underway to doing that. I think we might have even done that with uh, uh, eight to, to nine uh, of the carriers. So, so that's a way for us to make sure that we have a direct relationship with the carriers that allows us to enjoy better economics when we are um, effectively um, issuing or selling policies under that program. And, and what's really involved other than that is to make sure that we have a complement of people across the country that can help our advisors introduce uh, sophisticated uh, plans for our clients uh, driven by wealth plans and other strategies. So that's all underway. In fact, we've got a, a good team built now. So our team is there. Uh, that's really it, I think. And, you know, historically, we did almost $40 million of insurance premiums that our clients paid uh, under the program. So we're already starting with a very good book of business, and we intend to grow that. Okay. And I noted uh, over, over the, the course of the year so far, you've been um, building out your executive team, as you stated in your plan, and uh, supporting that growth agenda. How should we think about the uh, the related uh, costs there? Does, does that mean like the corporate overhead costs or, or um, uh, sort of salary and benefit costs go higher here? Does it get blended into the wealth management segment? And what's the trajectory there? So we we've had some departures, and then we essentially the people that have that have stepped in have been taking on either positions from those departures. Plus, we have a number of people retire, and when those people retire, we've been replacing them. So it's been a plus and minus game, and I would say they're not material changes to our uh, people plan. Okay. And um, noted your transformation costs here in the quarter, about $2.5 million, and, and I know you've, uh, you, you've intended to keep that transformation office going, uh, uh, at least to this point of your, tra of your journey. Uh, is that, that run rate from Q2 roughly what sh we should be expecting going forward, or, or is it going to be more just uh, maybe project-specific? I would think that run rate, that number actually comes down in future quarters, Jeff, um, probably more in the million and a half to, to $2 million range, so down. Um, and that will continue for a couple of more quarters from here. Okay. And then maybe just one last one here on on, uh, on CapEx, and as you're putting in some of these new solutions, um, how do we think about that? And uh, Is there a meaningful CapEx investment around the InvestNet platform, or is that going to be more baked into the expense, expense line? No, there, there's definitely some CapEx involved with, with a number of different initiatives underway. Um, the InvestNet platform is probably the most significant. But we've also got uh, various uh, programs right now to renovate offices or move and consolidate different, different uh, parts of our real estate footprint, which will also involve CapEx. Um, all of that will then obviously flow into, into income over the next five to ten years. Um, and 
yeah, it, it, it will add up, and we'll provide more guidance on that um, as we, we head into the next few quarters and, and get greater visibility on the spending. Okay, great. Um, that's all I had. Thanks for the color. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Once again, please press star one at this time if you have a question. So there are no further questions at this time. So, Mr. Colella, I'll return the meeting back over to you for closing remarks. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. As always, please feel free to reach out to Investor Relations if you have any further questions. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Your conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.